We're in the middle of a, a series uh, about the church, and we're doing that based on the seven churches of the book of Revelation, which is Revelation 2 and 3. Today, right in the middle of the series, I'm also going to preach a message on the church, but I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is a passage which is about both marriage and the church. And usually, I think, this passage is used more to speak about marriage. But today, I'm going to use it to speak about the church. So please uh, hear that as I pick up at verse 25 and read a few verses. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We read here in verse 25 that Christ loved the church. And having spent most of my working life as a, a pastor, I don't believe you can do that for a whole working life without loving the church. I can remember about 40 years ago when there was a significant move, new move of the Holy Spirit amongst uh, Christians in this nation, that there was a kind of renewed awareness that came about the significance of the church. And I think sometimes we need to refresh things a bit. And I believe that's true right now in our understanding of the church. 30 to 40 years ago, a lot of great songs were being written and being sung about the church. I'm not aware that songs are being written and sung about the church today, and I think that in itself says something. And then we have to remember, as far as the church is concerned, we've had this pretty appalling 18 months for everybody in every way, really, but it's meant for months on end that we've been closed down in terms of having meetings together. Who would have ever thought that that would ha happen? And even now, we're still in the process, quite obviously, of regathering the church. Now, I could say a huge amount about the church without any reference to Sundays at all. The church is much, much, much more than Sunday meetings, and I really mean that, and please hear me say that. But while we're in this regathering phase, I want to try and help us see what the church is as we gather on a Sunday morning. Uh, I want us to see that we come here really not out of a sense of duty or it's just the right thing to do, but I want us to see what the church is, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right, first of all, what we, the church, are. So what are we as we meet together on a Sunday morning? Well, I think the first thing I want to say is that we are a called out people. And that comes in a, a well-known verse that we have in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, if you look at us at the present time, we look like a pretty ordinary group and bunch of people. We don't look anything special at all, but we are, in fact, a distinctive people. The Bible says we're a chosen people, that we're God's special possession, that we are a called-out people. We're called out of darkness into light, and we're called out of death and into life. How do we show that? Well, we show it by declaring our praises here on Sunday morning in our worship of Jesus, who has called us out. You get the same kind of uh, reference if you go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, where again we find that we are a called out people. If you look at that verse, you'll I'm sure be familiar with it, but it says that those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. People often refer to this verse in the sense that it's all in the past tense, that we were predestined, God chose us for himself in the past. At some time in the past, if we're Christians, he called us out to himself, When he called us out and we believed, we were justified. We were declared to be not guilty in his sight. And then it says, also past tense, that we are glorified. So it's all past tense. We're predestined, we're called, we're justified, but we're also glorified. Now, it's true this morning, if you're a Christian, you are predestined, you are called, you are justified. It's all past tense. It's a bit difficult to look at one another this morning and say, however, that we all look glorified. I mean, most of us look pretty exhaustified, to be honest, uh, rather than glorified. We look, we look so ordinary, but this is the church that we're called justified and so certain that we will be glorified that we can use the, the word as though it had already happened. And this, my friends, is what we are as the church on Sunday morning. This is who you're sitting next to. You're sitting next to someone who is called out to declare the praise of Jesus and glorified to look like Jesus. So certain that it will happen that we can speak of it as though it's already happened. But then we're also a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says that we are the body of Christ. And usually when preachers reach this point, they take the opportunity to thank those who serve in the church more in the background. So there are those that are not leading the worship or not preaching from the front, but are serving, say, as stewards or as Sunday school teachers or work in the PA and so on, and all members of the body of Christ. And preachers say we particularly want to thank those that serve in the background. And yes, we do, because they really do serve us, and of course they really are part of of the body of Christ. Well, I want to lift this higher, if I can, this morning in our understanding. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where Paul talks about the church as the body. I want to particularly pick out verse 12 of chapter 12. Just as a body, and Paul is speaking here about the church, he's using this figure of a body, just as a a body Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, 
so it is with, and you would expect to read, the body of Christ, because he's speaking about the church. But he doesn't. He says, so it is with Christ. In other words, Paul is calling the church Christ. Hear it again. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with not the body of Christ, but with Christ. He's actually calling the church Christ. Now, if that was the only place in the New Testament where you saw that, you would, I think, want to try and wriggle out of that. But actually, it happens elsewhere in the New Testament, because on the Damascus Road, Saul is apprehended by the risen Jesus and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in fact, Saul was persecuting, later of course to become Paul, was persecuting the church. But Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? Again, it's as though Jesus himself calls the church Christ. And there's also in a slightly different way, a kind of reference to that in Ephesians 1 and verse 22, which speaks of the church, which is his body, the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. Now, this is extraordinary, I always think. You can be coldly pragmatic, but you can say, well, uh, clearly these verses identify the church with Christ, but don't push it too far. It almost sounds as though you could get into heresy. You could push it further than you're meant to. And I take that. But if the Bible, through the Apostle Paul, calls the church Christ, and if Jesus does the same, he calls the church Christ, and if the church, in one, uh, Ephesians 1.22, fills out Christ, <clears throat> then friends, lift your sights about the church. I'm here with worship leaders and preachers and Sunday school teachers and PA operators and stewards, and they are called the body of Christ. But so united are we with Jesus that the identification goes as far as the Bible calling us Christ. Let me make a practical application. The most visible representation of Jesus that you will see upon the earth is not in a portrait of Jesus in the National Gallery. It is not in a statue of Jesus in, say, a Roman Catholic church building, but it is the people we gather with on a Sunday morning. We are the body of Christ, visibly. And then we are also the bride of Christ. I struggled with something here for years. When are we the bride of Christ? Is it now or in the future? And often I used to hear people pray about the church as the, body, or sorry, as the bride of Christ right now. And I used to struggle with it, and I used to say, and this went on with me for years, no, we'll be the bride in the future when Jesus comes again. And indeed, there are verses that seem to identify that. If you go to verse 25 of this chapter, we read, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the blood and to present her to himself as a radiant church. And that sounds kind of future, that Jesus is going to present the church to himself as a radiant bride, a radiant church. And there are other verses that I could take you to that seem to say the same thing. 
And so I put it all into the future. But then one day I got clobbered by verse uh, 20, or rather by chapter 22 of the book of Revelation and verse 17. And this is what it says. The spirit and the bride say, come. And suddenly... I knew that I'd got to change your mind, which is very, change my mind, which is very hard for a preacher when he's been kind of on a theme for years and years. But the spirit and the bride, and the bride in context has to be the church, the spirit and the bride right now in the present time are saying, come. This verse is calling the church now the bride of Christ. The spirit and the bride say, come. I had to think it through, and I came to this conclusion. Romans 8 helps us once again. If we're already glorified in the sense that you can say it past tense, because it will absolutely happen in the future, it is also so certain that the church will be the bride of Christ, that we can speak of the church being the bride right now. Now, this is important for a particular reason. If you go to Revelation again, and chapter 21 and verse 9, I want you to see here a pride in the bride. Revelation 21 and verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That is an extraordinary verse, because you sense there the immense pride of that angel about the church that is the bride. Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you just how ordinary we are at Gateway Church. We're meeting right now in a fairly undistinguished building. We've got a hall back there that is collapsing. We're here sitting with our problems, our concerns, our worries, all the pressures of life, and we can see how ordinary and insignificant we appear to be, but the angel is saying, look at the bride. And we can talk of how ordinary we are right now, but that is not how God sees us. He sees us as a bride for his son. And the celebrations are yet to come in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But Sunday morning, we meet together. Remember the pride of the angel. He says, we are the bride. So what are we on a Sunday morning? We're called out. We're the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Now, secondly, what do we hope for as we gather on a Sunday? Well, for one thing, we hope to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Isaiah 56 and verse 7 says that. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus says that when he cleanses the temple. Now, this should be a house of prayer for all the nations. And I have found that in our churches, the way that people commonly understand that is that it means that we, the church, the house of God, should be praying for the nations of the world. Now, 
That's a very good thing to do. To do. But it is not what the Bible is actually saying, and is not what Jesus was saying. Let me take you back to the original context, Isaiah 56 and verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, that verse is not about the church praying for the nations, excellent though that is. That verse is saying the church shall be a house of prayer to which all the nations gather. All the nations come in to the church. All the nations come in to the house of prayer and pray with us. And so what we hope for is that there will be those from every nation that will come into the church and pray with us. I don't know how many nations are represented in BCP, but our Hope as Gateway Church is that there will be those from every group who join us, who reflect the national, racial, ethnic and cultural diversity of BCP. I reckoned before COVID there were 15 or 16 nations represented in Gateway Church. South Africans, Polish, Russians, South Africans, Zimbabweans, Zambians, Indians, South Africans. <laughs> and it should be like that, and even more so. If you go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, what we read right there is this that here, that is in the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all that matters, and Christ is in all. And so that's our hope, that we gather in the nations, so that together we might pray and be a people of joy. So our hope is also this, that there will be no racism, no sense of superiority of one group over another, but a house of prayer for all nations as we gather together on a Sunday morning. I hope it's also this, that we will impact cosmic powers. And here you have to go again to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, where Paul in that verse, says this astonishing thing. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Well, they are angels and demons because they are called rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms and other parts of the New Testament. In other words, cosmic powers. Let me read this verse very slowly. God's intent was that now, and South Africans, that's a now now, all right, you'll understand me. God's intent was that now, look this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, which is literally the multicolored wisdom of God, which is demonstrated superbly and supremely through the redemptive work of Christ, should be made known to cosmic powers. 
Now, the church is a people called out to declare the praise of Jesus. The church is a people saved by the work of Christ. This is all the multicolored wisdom of God. The church is uh, um, all the nations of the people brought together as one people from every background, even though that kind of unification would normally create divisions. The church is those people who for eternity will reign with Christ in a universe to be regenerated and redeemed from sin. Angels are looking into these things. That's what the Bible says. And they're looking in on Sunday morning and they party to see God's wisdom being worked out amongst us. And demons retreat in disgust, knowing that they may presently harass the church, but they can never destroy her. Because this is a people who together will worship Jesus forever. That's our hope to impact cosmic powers. And also, we hope for the presence of God. We can speak of omnipresence, meaning that God is always with us. We can speak of tangible presence, meaning we feel the presence of God. And we can speak of absolute presence, which speaks of God's absolute kind of taking over when something really wonderful happens, like a breakout of revival. The presence of God is vital. When Moses was called upon to lead a called-out nation, he said to God, how can we go from here unless your presence goes with us? They had to know the tangible presence of God, that God was felt amongst them. When the temple was built, the absolute presence of God filled the temple. It was so overwhelming that the priests were flat on their face and they couldn't do their ministry because God was doing the ministry. And in the church, well, it's there in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24, that when the outsider, the unbeliever, comes in, he senses something is taking place here, and he says, surely God is really among you. That's what we really hope for in the church. Not just that we have to get together Sunday mornings and it's a bit of a dull meeting. No, a gathering of God's people with a tangible presence of God so that people know God is really among us. And then thirdly, the church is a profound mystery. And this takes us back to Ephesians 5. This passage is both about marriage and about the church. And a pivotal point of comparison between Christ, a Christian marriage and the church comes in verse 31 and verse 32. And we read there that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Now, if you have been married for any length of time, you've got a perfect definition of your marriage there. You know, how's your marriage? Well, it's a profound mystery. <laughs> That's the definition of it. But Paul isn't only talking about marriage. Listen, he says that the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So it is also 
Christ and the church that's a profound mystery. Now, the mystery word there must not be understood as mysterious, that it's something I can't possibly understand. That's not how Paul uses the word. On the other hand, we need to be careful that we don't just make a careful, clipped definition. Mystery is something previously hidden and now revealed, as though, in a sense, there is no element of mystery left in it. In a way, you can explain your marriage, but there's always an element of mystery. One plus one equals one. It's an element of mystery. Sue and I, 53 years, married, still loving together, still one. It's a mystery. But we can teach and explain the church. But there's always an element beyond description and definition. The church and Christ is a profound mystery. So here, I'm reaching for something that I feel more than I really know how to express in words. But just a couple of things. In the church, more is happening than we realize. Now, many of you will have heard of the musical Hamilton, which has been such a big hit in the West End. 1790 in America, politicians are gathered in a room discussing great affairs of states and the setup of this new state of America, this new nation of America. They're discussing the great events that must take place. They've got plans. Outside, a song is being sung. I want to be in the room where it happens. Let me tell you, my friends, we say this building is not the church. We know that, but it's still convenient shorthand. We talk about coming to church. But actually, we're coming to the room where we meet as a church. This is the room where it happens. We're talking of going to church, <coughs> meaning we're gathering together as the church here in the room where it happens. And something really does happen here. We're not talking politics, but we are talking the kingdom of God. We can't talk to political leaders. We can't talk to the prime minister or to the queen. But together we can talk to him who is king of kings and lord of lords. We don't discuss the plans of men here, but we sing the plans and the purposes of God. We don't have a working dinner together, but we break bread to celebrate the works of God and remember the king is coming back. More is happening here, friends, than we realize. It's part of the profound mystery, which is Christ and the church. I want to be in the room where it happens. And we can say to one another, I'll see you at church on Sunday. How about see you on Sunday in the room where it happens? And then just this. I believe that Sundays do us more good than we realize. You go to verses 25 and 26, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. When we gather on a Sunday, we get washed by the word of God. In the Old Testament, the priests had a huge great bowl of water in the temple or by the temple, and they used to wash in it. And you might say, well, did they, why did they wash? Was it just ceremonial? Have you ever thought about what the priests did? They were constantly stoking bonfires in order to sacrifice and burn animals. They were killing and slaughtering animals, so there was blood everywhere. They were getting mucky and dirty, 
with the, the filth of the bonfires and the blood that was all around them. They needed to wash themselves. And during the week, we're out in the world and we're getting some dirt on us and we're picking up muck from the world. Sundays, it's like being washed again with clean water. Here, it's like being in an oasis in the midst of the chaos of the world. I often say to preachers, when you preach, don't think it's a lecture full of content which people expect you expect them to remember. But understand that preaching is to bring people into an encounter with God through the Word of God at the time of the preaching. You can come here expecting nothing. Or you can come here expecting that God might really encounter me today through the Word of God. It's a profound mystery. But in the church, through the foolishness of preaching, as the Apostle Paul calls it, God can radically encounter and affect our lives. We're being washed with the Word of God. Christ loved the church. That's what he gave himself for. He gave himself up for the church. The church is the joy that was set before him. So we need to raise our views and expectations as we gather as the church. We are a called out people, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. What we hope for is this, to be a house of prayer for all the nations to come into, to, to impact cosmic powers and to know the presence of God. The church is a profound mystery. This is the room where it happens. And we gather so that we can get more good done for us than we probably even realize. So this is how Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, the church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you that Christ came with a purpose to give himself for the church. He loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. And Father, we pray that you might lift our sight and view of the church. We pray that this church, Lord, may be indeed the church in which we expect to be the body the bride, to sing praises as called out people, to impact cosmic powers, to know the presence of God, to call in all the nations represented in BCP. And Father, we pray that in the kind of extraordinary mystery that the church is, we will be that people that know that in this room, there is something happening more than we can possibly realize that we are being washed 
with the Word of God. We pray that we might encounter you. We call down the blessing of God, the Spirit of God, as we begin to re recover and regather after this pandemic. Lord, bring us together with strength and power and love and fellowship and a sense of your presence. Lord Jesus, be glorified in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.